0: In early August of 2018, I boarded an airplane, an airplane, I boarded a jet, whatever it was here in Washington, D.C., and I flew to Albuquerque. There was a layover somewhere, I'm sure, for my first session of the Living School. Now, I flew in on the day before the Living School. They encourage you to get there at least 24 hours. Uh, early so you can really be there so that you can arrive and kind of let your body, your mind, your soul, your personhood arrive. And so I did. I arrived on a Monday and my first day of the Living School, although it had begun sort of with the books we read and things, my first in person was the next morning, uh, the Tuesday of that week. So I arrived at the, uh, at the hotel around 10 o'clock in the morning on that Monday, and I sat in the lobby because my room obviously wasn't ready. I mean, when you arrive at 10 o'clock in the morning, you don't expect your hotel room to be ready. It wasn't. And we were all staying. Uh, most all of the living school cohorts stay at the Hotel Albuquerque. At least they did. I don't. This year, we didn't. We didn't stay anywhere we, except online. I arrived, and by the time the next morning came, despite my own personal kind of spiritual practices, I really felt that I, like, who am I to be coming to the Living School? Who am I? Now, you can have your own thoughts about it, Pastor James, whoever, however you refer to me, but I was feeling pretty inadequate to the task. I'm like, here I am. And, and on Monday, to make it even worse, I'm sitting in the lobby. Who walks by? Richard Rohr. He walks by, so I got up and I, I, you know, I stumbled. And it's like, what, what do you say? What do you say to someone? You know, like, Who's that close to God? Uh, and so I said, Father Richard, I just am moved by all your work. I'm so looking forward to being a part. I'm, I'm in the 2020 cohort. I don't even know what I said. I said something like that, or who knows what I said. I may have just said, blah, 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 blah. I, You know, I don't know. And Father Richard was very kind, and he said, "You know, what's your name? And I said, James. And he said, James, it's so good to have you as a part of the Living School. And then he had to go on and do check-in himself and these other kinds. Con- I don't know what he was doing, because I was just in that awestruck moment. And so by the next morning, I got up really early, I did my practices, I got my journal out, and I they had set up this whole registration area, but you couldn't register until 8 o'clock in the morning. It was very clear you can't register until 8 o'clock. So there were tables sitting around. So I went and sat at a table with my journal and just looked down and journaled about how out of place I felt and how I They must have made a terrible mistake. (laughs) They must have made a terrible mistake to let me in the Living School. Um, And so I'm sitting there, and uh, a person comes over and sits next to me, and her name was Carolyn. Carolyn is one of the spiritual directors who was hired by the Living School to be be there, be prepared, and she said, so, how are you doing? Well, you know, I decided that in that moment I would just be honest. I said, I really feel completely out of place. I feel like, uh, you know, this, uh, you know, I'm with all these really spiritual people and I don't really, and she said, I hear you. A lot of people feel that way on the first day. Let me just sit with you. Tell me how you got to be here. And so she listened to my story. And by the end of our conversation, all of... Uh, all of my um, fears were temporarily allayed you know I mean by you know by lunchtime I was feeling the same thing all over again as I went into this large gathering and there was Richard sitting on the podium and there was uh, Jim Finley who I had no idea who that was and there was uh, uh, Cynthia Brigeot. I, I had read her book so I'm like you know in awe There were this is this is these spiritual people and and I remember thinking, hmm, hmm, I'm with spiritual celebrities. Now, I, I say that uh, in part because I'm getting ready to read you the story of what we as the church have come to believe are some of the spiritual celebrities. We believe that there was something extraordinarily unbelievable about these folks who followed Jesus. And so let me, uh, let me just read you a simple story from the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. I'm looking at chapter one if you want to follow along in your Bible or online or just want to listen. You can close your eyes and just listen to the words if you want to and see if you don't hear any interesting or uh, inspiring or maybe God speaks a word to you this morning as I read this. First. Uh, the first chapter of Mark, beginning with verse 16. And it's just four verses. Five verses. Okay, there we go. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat, mending their nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the gospel of the Lord for this morning. Praise be to God. Well... I'm looking for the celebrity in these two calling stories. I'm looking for the celebrity. What do they got going on for them? I don't know. Simon and Andrew happen to be on the beach doing what they do normally, throwing nets in the water and fishing. I, find it really, I found it a little funny. It's a little humorous. I laugh a little bit. They were throwing their nets in the sea, okay, for they were fishermen. Yeah, I'm sure that the local local carpenter came down and threw his net in the sea, too. I mean, what else would they be? They're throwing nets in the sea. They're fishermen. And they weren't amateurs. This was how they made their livelihood. This is how they also fed their families. I mean, this was important work that they were doing. They were ordinary, everyday people doing ordinary, everyday things. There was nothing extraordinary about them. We spend our whole life hoping that we will be extraordinary, that in some way we'll be out of this world unbelievable at something. You know, we look at somebody like a LeBron James and wish we could play basketball half as well as him. Or we we look at uh, Tom Brady and are amazed that he can still throw a football, and uh, that he was discarded so easily by the Patriots, and now throws for Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, we're uh, we we are expecting, and that's just in athletics. We expect these extraordinary uh, things to emerge. Um, Linda and I have this. Uh, show that we love to watch now on Netflix. We, we binge watch it sometimes, the, the Great British Baking Show. And on it, they choose 12, 13 of the best bakers, ordinary, everyday people who have lives. They're builders or students or uh, customer service technicians, whatever they are. And they come and they for multiple weeks in a row come on their weekends and bake. And they're ordinary everyday people. They tell ordinary everyday stories. But last night, we're in season 4, and last night the woman who left the show said, "You know, I as she was going. You know, they interview them as they're leaving when they're the one that has to leave because it's You know, it starts off with 12 and it limits down to eventually the best, you know, the best baker for that year, for that season. Uh, And she said, you know, I went as far as I could go. I bake for the people that I love. And what I put in are the ingredients and love and what comes out on the other side. I feed to the people that I love so that they experience it. Something like that. And I thought to myself, how ordinary it was. She was an ordinary, everyday person from Yorkshire. And uh, when they did a Yorkshire pudding, she said, if I don't get this right, I can't even go home. Uh, And she did. They gave her two thumbs up. She was fine Uh, from the week before. But the fact is that we think that if we're going to be called by God, we got to be something extraordinary. We've got to be the best preacher that's out there. We've got to be the most knowledgeable Bible study dude or dudette. That we've got to have the prettiest voice if we're going to sing in the, in the choir or with the worship team. If we, we need to be the best technicians if we're going to even be close to Mark and Joy on a, on a Sunday morning running our tech station back there. That we have got to be out of this world fantastic. And you see, what makes for me the first thing I see that's perhaps the most important part of this story is that Simon, Andrew, James, and John, what they had going for them was Simon's Simonness, Andrew's Andrewness, James's Jamesness, and John's Johnness. That's what they had going for them. They were ordinary, everyday fishermen. They weren't religious scholars. They hadn't studied the Bible for their whole lives uh, other than what was normally a part of, uh, of their Jewish lifestyle. They just lived normal, ordinary, everyday lives. And for some reason, Jesus called ordinary people to do extraordinary things because God was with them in doing them. And they weren't alone in doing it. God calls ordinary people. So if you're an ordinary person, guess what? You're called. (laughs) Ordinary people get called. Not extraordinary people. You know, people tell me sometimes, James, we love your messages. They're so real. They're so, you're such a great preacher. I'm not a great preacher. Now listen, I'm not downing myself. I'm not a great preacher. I bring my ordinary self to this place every Sunday morning and I just lay it out there. This is what I've struggled with during the week. This is what I'm thinking. I'm one of you. I happen to be a pastor. That's my title. That's my placing as a part of this community of faith. But the bottom line is, I'm an ordinary guy, just like all of you. I put these pants on one leg at a time this morning. I don't glow in the dark, I can't walk on water, and when they turn the lights out, there is no glowing halo over my head, as much as I might wish for one. Unless I, you know, buy one of those ones that you can turn on and off, you know, magically, you know, using uh, your powerful uh, home kit or whatever. The bottom line is, I'm ordinary, just like you. And I bring my ordinariness every Sunday morning to this space. Not because, and and I'm not denigrating myself, God loves the ordinary. We're the ones that choose to label some things extraordinary. I I bet you, uh, well, I don't need to go there. I don't need to go there. For all of our idolizing and hero worship of those first disciples or of athletes today or of great speakers who give the best TED Talks, who inspire us so much. In the end, every one of us brings ourselves to the moment, and that's the best you've got. And you know what? For Jesus walking down the beach, Simon's ordinary everydayness as a fisher person, And Andrew's and James and John's, all their ordinariness was just what he wanted. You know, we think that he looked somehow deep inside of them. In fact, I was convinced of it, you know, long ago, that he looked at these, and there was something extraordinary in there that uh, we just don't see. We, We couldn't have seen it if, you know, if we were walking with Jesus, we wouldn't have seen it. But Jesus saw something in them. He saw them. And he loved them. And you know what love does? It changes us. It changes us. When we feel loved just for who we are, we start to walk a little taller. And we feel a little bit more comfortable loving others. Because suddenly, I'm loved. And if I'm loved, I can love somebody else. And maybe somebody else would like to receive that love. And you know what happens? Then it gets contagious. That's something we have to be careful about talking about these days, contagion, but love is contagious. Just like a smile is contagious, just like a yawn is apparently contagious. I'll try not to yawn right now. But love is contagious. When I feel loved and I turn that love out on somebody else and that person feels loved, then it overflows and they can't help but turn that love out to somebody else too. Half of our problems in the world is that most of us don't feel loved. And so what we turn out on other people is our unlovedness. That's why we've got to have enemies. That's why we've got to hold off people at a distance because we don't feel loved enough and we want to make sure they don't either. Or we don't feel like we've got anything to give, that all we are is ordinary people. And that's all God wants from you. Be the ordinary person you are. Look at how Simon turned out. If you follow the story, and the reason why I have called Simon out is, yes, his name gets changed to Peter, and he's a foundation of the grok of the church and all that kind of stuff. Listen to the idiotic things the boy says. If you just read any of the Gospels and find Peter, Peter says wacky things. Whatever comes to his mind, he just says it in the moment. He was probably a seven. I'm convinced he was a seven through and through. Whatever comes to their mind, they just say it, and if it hurts somebody else's feelings, oh well. And then they have to think, well, maybe I ought to think before I talk. Yeah, seven. Give it a shot. The bottom line is, how much more ordinary can you be? How much more ordinary can you be than a, than a Simon or an Andrew or a James or a John or a Thomas? they are ordinary people like you and me, and God wanted them, just like God wants you. Now, beyond ordinariness, there's something else there. There's a little hint of it right there. You think that you're starting all over from scratch. When you say yes, when you say yes, you think you're starting all over from scratch. You got to begin at the beginning. That first call story says something different to me. Listen, I could read it to you again, but more or less, you've heard that story before. Jesus is passing along the Sea of Galilee. You know, you just get him kind of gallivanting. walking along, sauntering. I don't know what Jesus does. You know, whether he was by himself, whether there were some other people with him, I don't know. And it doesn't really matter. You get the feeling he's alone. He looks over, he sees Simon, he sees Andrew, they're throwing nets in the water, and he says, He says to them, because they're fishermen, follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. All this life of fishing had prepared them for the fishing part. They had been fishing for fish. Now they were just going to adapt a little bit. Now they were going to fish for people. All that stuff that happened before you say yes prepares you for how you're going to live out the yes in your everyday life. All that stuff that happened before, the brokenness, the woundedness. You know, Henry Nouwen wrote a wonderful book way, way long time ago. I read it in the early 80s, but I think he wrote it in the 70s, Henry Nouwen is now dead, and it's called The Wounded Healer. And it's, it's about how we all carry various wounds, sadnesses, brokenness, emptiness somewhere deep inside ourselves, and it's that, that when God heals it in us, we can use those wounds to bring healing to others. You know. Why do you think it is that the people in 12-step programs gather with people who are, who are struggling with the exact same things? Because they share that commonality. They can, they can talk about their own struggles with alcohol or drugs or sex or whatever the addiction is. They can talk about it with somebody who gets them and who says, This is a tool I've used. One moment at a time. You hear a story about how someone overcame something. The same thing you are struggling to overcome. And you realize it's one moment. One one hour, one day at a time. Wounded healers bring themselves. Whatever it is that you had going on before you said yes is not just to be trashed. God can transform it and use it in your life as a tool. Simon and Andrew and James and Don didn't have to throw away their skills as uh, the care that they gave to fishing. One was mending the nets, one was throwing the nets, casting the nets, a wide net. You have to study where you're going, you have to think about what you're doing, you have to learn some skills. But in the end, what you put out there is you you sweep a wide net and what you bring in is what you have. They were prepared for the life. What changed them was their sense of calling. So what if you're a lawyer are a doctor, a dentist, um, a garbage collector, a con, you know construction person, you are in the military, uh, whatever it is you do with your teacher, an executive director, um, an audio technician, um, a website designer, or an everyday pastor, whatever it is. God can use those skills and God's love to transform what you're doing to make the world a different place. Because you see, God sees in you you, what, what makes you, you. And that's what God wants. Not some pretense that you can look like Peter or behave like Paul or any of the biggies that we think of as celebrities because they were all ordinary. And my third point is exceptionally short. Their whole qualification was they said yes. They said yes. Now, we never hear them say yes, but they sure got up and went. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of people. Maybe they said yes, maybe they didn't say it out loud, but they said yes with their feet. They said yes with their feet. Who knows? Jesus may have called 120 people that day. We don't know them. Why? Because they didn't say yes. (laughs) We don't save stories of people who say no. I don't know. So, ordinary friends, beloved of God, just for the ordinariness you carry, say yes. Say yes to love. Say yes to living in love. And remember, by the end of the time when I left the living school, Richard richard was a pretty normal guy to me. He shared his struggles with us. And he shared his joys with us. And yes, he's deeply wise. But in the end, one of the interesting things, and... They gave me this book at the beginning of The Living School. They gave me this book. It's it's really just empty pages. I was convinced it's just empty pages. I wrote some notes in it, and then I thought it was too sacred to write any notes in, so I I didn't write any notes in. In the spring of this year, I I turned through these pages. I was flipping through, and I was like, oh, my gosh. They actually have some words that I was supposed to have read when they gave me the book at the back. And number two is this. The Living School faculty, staff, and structure are here to support and facilitate the change that may happen in you so that you'll be more effective in your work of engagement back home. We are here to be your companions in your and our ordinariness. Richard, Cynthia, Jim, now Brian and Dr. B, all of those people are ordinary. They simply said, yes, and then lived into the yes. Will you say yes to God's call on your life and love? Will you let that love shine through you as you do whatever it is you already do? Can you do it with great love, the little things, the big things, the medium-sized things? Do them with love. God just wants you for you. He loves you for you. And me for me. That's kind of the coolness about God. One of the many cool things about God. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. No qualifications. You are loved.